Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. I pray your spirit would be here, uh, that he would be our honored guest, and would you, uh, Holy Spirit, take your word and apply it to each one of us individually where we are tonight and this week. Uh, Prepare us, encourage us, help us please. And we pray for it this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, last thing for guests, um, those, that football team called the Cowboys, uh, I know they're playing right now, uh, and if I see you doing this too much, okay, we don't talk about the score, because some people have recorded it, and they want to see it when they get home, and so we just don't talk about the score of um, either the Rangers or the Cowboys. Everyone else is fair game. Cowboys and Rangers. Okay, here we go. Maybe here we go. Mm -hmm. Mm. There we go, yes. Okay, 1 Kings is the book. Remember we talked about Kings. 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Kings are really kings. Okay, it's one book, Kings, that was divided up, First and Second Kings, and it's the book of division, because in the book of um, um, Samuel, we got through United Kingdom. In Kings, we get through the divided kingdom. It doesn't take very many chapters for us in Kings, First Kings, to get the kingdom divided. And that's where, as we walk down the timeline of Kings, That's where the major and minor prophets will intersect that chronology. And so what we'll try to do is set up for you in Kings what the historical situation is so that when you read the prophet, you say, aha, this makes sense why the prophet is writing what he's writing to whether it's the northern or the southern kingdom. So it'll be a lot of fun. We'll do that. Tonight, though, I want to talk about um, something completely different. So one summer growing up, um, I have two brothers, uh, and we, for some reason, uh, I think it was on sale at the Sears store, uh, my dad bought a croquet set, and the three boys, that kind of became our obsession for the summer. And so we had the croquet set set up in the backyard, and um, I'm the oldest, and then I got a middle brother who's about 18 months behind me, and then my younger brother's about five years behind me. And so we would get out there, and we would play. Well, guess, guess what would happen among brothers? Besides beating each other up, we, we had, there were many do-overs. I get a do-over. Well, why do you get a do-over? Well, because whatever. I hit a twig or a leaf or something. I need a do-over. So we all played, and we had this do-over rule. Anyway, it was a lot of fun, but it drove us crazy, and we spent more time just beating each other up than we did playing croquet. Uh, But it was a great summer. Uh, The summer I learned about claiming do-overs. Isn't that a great idea, though, do-overs? Is there anything you'd like a do-over at? Maybe something you've, I don't know, done? Don't raise your hand. 
something maybe you've done, maybe something you've said, you'd like a do-over. Um, I know I've done and said many things that I wish I had a do-over for. Uh, we don't seem to get those exactly, uh, like croquet, but the idea of a do-over always hits us in January. January, as Cody talked about this morning, is kind of a, a do-over. Whatever's happened up to this point, we get a do-over and we get to set new, new goals or new aspirations for the new year. Uh, so tonight, Solomon is going to have a, not a do-over exactly, but he's going to get a new start. He's going to get a fresh start. In a sense, he's going to get a do-over from some of the things that David um, was unwilling or unable to take care of. Uh, and so Solomon finds himself in a position where he's got to make a fresh start for the kingdom. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. That's the second half of chapter 2 all the way through chapter 4. So in chapter 2, where we left off last time was then David died. We're in verse 10, 1 Kings 2, verse 10. Then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now, if you remember from last time, Adonijah is uh, another one of those Absalom rascals running around trying to take the kingdom. So one day... Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, came to see Bathsheba. You remember Bathsheba? Solomon's mother. Have you come with peaceful intentions? She asked him. Yes, he said. I come in peace. In fact, I have a favor to ask you. What is it? She asked. He replied, As you know, the kingdom was rightfully mine. Maybe you know that, or maybe you don't know that. All Israel wanted me to be the next king, but the tables were turned, and the kingdom went to my brother instead, for that is the way the Lord wanted it. So now I have just one favor to ask of you. Please don't turn me down. What is it? She asked. He replied, Speak to King Solomon on my behalf, for I know he will do anything you request. Ask him to let me marry Abishag, the girl from Shunem. Remember, Abishag is the um, medicinal woman who was there to see if David was really dead. And David was really dead, and so they knew David was going to die. But Abishag is part of the harem now. And so Adonijah asking for Abishag, part of David's harem, is in effect asking that the kingdom be turned over to him. Okay, so I know everyone wanted me to be king, but I know God turned the tables on me, but if I can get her, okay? You see what this guy's doing? Okay. So he, he wants Bathsheba to speak to Solomon. Just, just the girl. That's all I want, just the girl. All right, Bathsheba replied, I will speak to the king for you. What? What is Bathsheba doing? 
So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak on Adonijah's behalf. The king rose from his throne to meet her, and he bowed down before her. When he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne be brought for his mother, and she sat at his right hand. I have one small request to make of you, she said. I hope you won't turn me down. What is it, my mother, he asked. You know I won't refuse you. Then let your brother Adonijah marry Abishag, the girl from Shunem, she replied. Get Solomon's response. How can you possibly ask me to give Abishag to Adonijah, King Solomon demanded. You might as well ask me to give him the kingdom. You know that he is my older brother, and that he has Abiathar the priest and Joab son of Zeruiah on his side. Then King Solomon made a vow before the Lord. May God strike me and even kill me if Adonijah has not sealed his fate with this request. The Lord has confirmed me and placed me on the throne of my father David. He has established my dynasty as he promised. So as surely as the Lord lives, Adonijah will die this very day. So King Solomon ordered Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to execute him, and Adonijah was put to death. Wow! Um, there's a rebel here who can't be reformed. You getting that? Adonijah is the rebel, and he cannot be reformed. All that can happen with him is he's either allowed to continue, or you have to execute him. Okay, so Solomon is probably 20. Solomon begins making these decisions. What is Bathsheba doing? Is she just out of her mind? So commentators, it's really funny. Most commentators just sort of sidestep it. They just, well, so Bathsheba goes and asks Solomon, what's up? So this now depends on your view of Bathsheba. One commentator said, you know, Bathsheba, maybe in her older years, loved the idea of being matchmaker. And she was just trying to be a matchmaker. Okay, possible, possible. I think there's a more probable solution. I think Bathsheba knew exactly who Adonijah was and what he wanted. And she said, I'll agree to go talk to Solomon about your request. And she does exactly what she says she'll do. Hey, son, Adonijah wants Abishag. <laughs> Solomon, Solomon hasn't heard this exactly. So she is intel for Solomon. Solomon hears it and says, bam, there's the rebel. He's never going to reform. We're going to kill him. So Bathsheba is actually, I believe, helping Solomon. She's actually being wise in the same manner that Solomon has been wise. She's not a pushover. She's not going, I'd just love to see a young couple in love. I don't think that's what she was doing at all. Bathsheba was a smart lady, and I think she was helping her son to establish the kingdom under his control and authority. So Abishag does not marry uh, Adonijah. Adonijah is put to death. Okay, then the king, so Adonijah is put to death. So there's a rebel who can't be reformed. He's put to death. 
Then the king said to Abiathar the priest, Go back to your home in Anathoth. Somebody comes from Anathoth later. Okay, you'll get there. You deserve to die, but I will not kill you now because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord for David my father and you shared all his hardships. So Solomon deposed Abiathar from his position as priest of the Lord, thereby fulfilling the prophecy of the Lord, the prophecy the Lord had given at Shiloh concerning the descendants of Eli years and years ago. Joab, okay, so there goes Abiathar. Joab had not joined Absalom's earlier rebellion, but he had joined Adonijah's rebellion. So when Joab heard about Adonijah's death, he ran to the sacred tent of the Lord and grabbed onto the horns of the altar. When this was reported to King Solomon, he sent Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to execute him. Benaiah went to the sacred tent of the Lord and said to Joab, The king orders you to come out. But Joab answered, No, I will die here. So Benaiah returned to the king and told him what Joab had said. And Solomon goes, Wait for him to come out. Nope. He says, as he wishes, kill him. Kill him there beside the altar and bury him. Interesting, Benaiah was of a priestly line so that he could go in here without being against the law. It was okay for him to go in. So he goes in, and he gives it to Joab. Uh, This will remove the guilt of Joab's senseless murders from me and from my father's family. The Lord will repay him for the murders of two men who are more righteous and better than he. For my father knew nothing about the deaths of Abner, son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. May their blood be on Joab and his descendants forever, and may the Lord grant peace forever to David, his descendants, his dynasty, and his throne. So Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, returned to the sacred tent and killed Joab, and he was buried at his home in the wilderness. Then the king appointed Benaiah to command the army in place of Joab, and he installed Zadok the priest to take the place of Abiathar. So then finally, we got one more character to take care of. Adonijah, Abiathar, Joab, and Shimei. You remember Shimei? When David's chased out of town by Absalom, Shimei's the guy throwing rocks at him, cursing the king. And then when when David comes back, remember all the guys, all the army men, what do they want to do? Kill him. And what does David do? David says, today is not a day for murder. Today is a day for, for peace and forgiveness. Okay. David, very merciful. And so Shimei goes on about his business. But then Solomon calls him in and says, build a house here in Jerusalem and live there. But don't step outside the city to go anywhere else. On the day you so much as cross the Kidron Valley, you will surely die, and your blood will be on your own head. Shimei replied, your sentence is fair. I will do whatever my lord the king commands. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem for a long time. But three years later, two of Shimei's slaves ran away to King Akish, son of Maaka of Gath. When Shimei learned where they were, he saddled his donkey and went to Gath to search for them. By the way, Gath is not in Jerusalem. 
When he found them, he brought them back to Jerusalem. Solomon heard that Shimei had left Jerusalem and had gone to Gath and returned. So the king sent for Shimei and demanded, Didn't I make you swear by the Lord and warn you not to go anywhere else or you would surely die? And you replied, The sentence is fair. I will do as you say. Then why haven't you kept your oath to the Lord and obeyed my command? The king also said to Shimei, You certainly remember all the wicked things you did to my father David. May the Lord now bring that evil on your own head. But may I, King Solomon, receive the Lord's blessing, and may one of David's descendants always sit on this throne in the presence of the Lord. Then at the king's command, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, took Shimei outside and killed him. So the kingdom was now firmly in Solomon's grip. The kingdom, following David's death, uh, Solomon has been appointed and anointed the king of Israel. David was a soldier. Solomon is a scholar. David made war. Solomon will make peace. The kingdom has been boiling for years. We've got Absalom and Adonijah's treachery. It's t- God's timing for new leadership Solomon, and it's God's timing for a fresh start. And so, how do we get time for a fresh start or a new start? First thing you have to do, you have to purge the kingdom. You want a fresh start? You want a new start? You got to take care of the old business. Adonijah, a usurper is executed. Remember this for later. He's a rebel that cannot be reformed. Abiathar is deposed and exiled as a traitor. Joab uh, served David so well so many times, but also murdered two innocent men. Joab is executed. And Shimei, who maybe he should have been executed before, David let him live. Uh, He would have been allowed to live had he lived within the boundaries. He chose not to, so he's executed as a rebel. So the first step to a new start is you have to purge what's causing trouble. The first thing that Solomon does, the kingdom is now firmly in his grasp. What does he do? He purges it, purges it of rebels that cannot and have demonstrated will not be reformed. All that's left for him to do is execute them. And so that's what he does. The first step to a new start or a fresh start in the kingdom is purging it of what needed to be purged. Little... uh, excursus here. Some of us who are a little more um, conflict-averse, does that make sense? Conflict-averse, right? Conflict is not something we we love or rush into. Um, We need to learn the difference between keeping peace and making peace. Uh, Keeping peace is more based on feelings. Uh, making peace is based on facts. 
feelings. Um, that person hurt me, but I don't think I'll say anything about it. I'll just, I'll just take it. I don't need to say anything. And so I don't. But I don't forget it. If I'm going to make peace, I've got to bring it up with the person. But I've got to bring up the facts. I can bring up the fact of how it hurt me, but I've got to bring up the facts. I've got to enter into a bit of conflict to begin to make peace. If I'm going to keep peace, I'm going to honor others over God. Rather than if I'm going to make peace, I need to honor God over others. And what does God tell me to do? Speak the truth in love. And especially if it's a brother or a sister in Christ, I need to be willing to speak the truth in love to them. Again, I said, for those of us who are a little more conflict-averse, this is not fun or easy stuff. If I'm going to just try to keep the peace, I give others what they ask for. And I can let them, you know, they could walk all over me if I let them. If I'm going to make peace, though, I give others what they need. And what they need is probably to hear the truth, at least the truth of how it hit me. Keeping peace typically sidesteps the truth, whereas making peace speaks the truth in love. If I keep the peace, I trust, basically trust my own schemes. I'm going to keep the peace. I'm just going to keep, keep taking it. If I'm going to make peace, I have to trust God's word and God's ways. And again, he says we have to speak the truth to one another in love. Keeping peace seems to work for a while. Making peace is sure to work. May take longer, but it works. Keeping peace seems, relatively speaking, to be less costly, meaning to me. Because <laughs> I don't really want to step into conflict. I really am somewhat conflict averse. It's not something I, I, I run into. And it feels like that's less costly. That's the better thing to do. That's the higher road is just to ignore it. Maybe that's not the best thing to do. Maybe that's because that seems to be the least costly thing for me. Making peace may be, relatively speaking, a little more costly because I'm really going to have to deal with people or issues or whatever. Uh, making peace, so not keeping peace, making peace means dealing severely with pretend kings, traitors, murderers, and rebels. It means either exiling them or executing them. Making peace not keeping peace, making peace with enemies means showing them no mercy and no longer making allowance for them. 
First thing I have to do for a new start on January 7th, 2024, I have to purge the kingdom. Second thing I have to do, second thing Solomon did, was chapter 3. He begins to follow the Lord. So he makes an alliance with Pharaoh. He marries one of his daughters. He brings her to the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. Um, And right now people are sacrificing anywhere they want. Verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. Well, they didn't have a lot of choice then because they didn't have a temple. Well, that's going to get solved. Uh, The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. That's a lot. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Can you imagine being 20 years old? God knocks on your door in a dream. What do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. Whoa. I want, I want three wishes and the third wish is always I get three more wishes. Solomon is amazing. He replies, he said, You showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and have not asked for a long life, or wealth, or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all his officials to a great banquet. Solomon begins following the Lord on his own. What he asks for is an understanding heart. That's what he asks God for, is an understanding heart. If you uh, have one of those little Bible programs and you click on the word for understanding, it's the Hebrew word shema. You know this from Deuteronomy 6. 
It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel. What has Solomon asked for? A hearing heart. A heart that hears from God. That's what he's asked for. The heart that hears from God, then knows how to obey, and is an understanding heart. But Solomon really asks for a hearing heart. The Lord's response, God gives his best to those who want what he wants for them and more besides. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all other things will be added to you. You put my interests, God's interests first, and I, God, will make sure that everything else is taken care of. Solomon's reply in verse 15, he worships God for his grace and generosity, and he bows the knee afresh to the Lord. Solomon is looking for a fresh start. God's brought new leadership. The kingdom needs a do-over, in a sense. Solomon begins by purging the kingdom of the rebels that cannot be reformed. Then he turns his attention to God and says, Lord, give me a hearing heart. I want to follow you. I need a hearing heart to be able to do that. So that's the second step that Solomon has taken for starting a with the Lord. A hearing heart. And then we get this. This is, has always been your Sunday school lesson. The two prostitutes and the baby, and Solomon wisely figures out how to tell who the mother is. And when all Israel heard the king's decision, verse 28, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. We get an illustration of the wisdom that Solomon had asked for in his hearing heart. So we get a, uh, it is, it's an illustration right after the, the principle. Solomon requests a hearing heart, a heart that hears and understands and obeys. And immediately we're given a picture of what that looked like in Solomon's life. And the people are in awe over Solomon. Well, our last chapter for tonight is chapter 4. And this is the part that you went really fast, especially over verses 1 through 19. Yeah, you got all these sons of, and you went, hmm, yeah, 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 yeah. And so you skip down to verse 20. <laughs> yeah, I know what you did. I know what you did. A uh, couple interesting things along the way uh, in uh, 1 through 19. Um, a, a couple of them. Um, let's see, it's uh, verse 11. Uh, he happened to be married to one of Solomon's daughters. And in fact, there was another guy <laughs> who was, verse 15, he was married to another one of Solomon's daughters. Uh, there's also a fella, it seems, who could have been um, one of David's 
brother's sons. So that, that's a cousin. So Solomon's got a cousin and a couple of uh, his daughter's husbands in this thing. Now, he's brilliant in how he's set it up, but you have to understand, even in chapter 4, the part that you're going, there's nothing in here. Mm." This is the Bible. There is something in every verse. (laughs) These things are becoming the seeds for the division of the kingdom. Because the people who are upset are going, we get, Solomon, what you've done. <laughs> uh, your, your two daughters, uh, their husbands are helping here, helping you out. And maybe even your cousin. We got how this thing is working. And we're not happy about it. The people do not like, after some years, the people don't like what's happening right here. But this is a very wise way to set things up. So you just have to understand, in the part you skipped over, there are some seeds that are being planted that are going to grow in these next few chapters, and then they produce a harvest (laughs) a little while later on. All right, got to purge the kingdom. You got to follow the Lord. Lastly, you do have to serve the people. King Solomon now ruled over all Israel, and these were his high officials. And so it goes through his officials. He divides things up into 12 districts. He did not follow the tribal allotments. I think Laurie included the map uh, somewhere in your handout. And if you, if you really want to have fun, you can try to find a tribal map and then overlay this one on top of it. And these districts don't line up with the tribal allotments. Uh, not quite sure how they were put together. But what Solomon did here was very wise because he entrusted things to trustworthy people. It just didn't work out so well some number of years later. But the way Solomon set it up was good. He's trying to serve the people. So, verse 20, the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the the seashore. They were very contented with plenty to eat and drink, or they all lived under their own fig tree and vine, or vine and fig tree. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates in the north to land the Philistines and the border of Egypt in the south. The conquered peoples of those lands sent tribute money to Solomon and continued to serve him throughout his lifetime. Some of you who are in Genesis with us, you say, now wait a minute, isn't that the land boundaries? The Euphrates to the Mediterranean to Egypt to, isn't this a fulfillment of all of that? No, 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 because this is not Israel's. This is, these are Israel's vassals. They still have their own independently owned and operated nation, they're just conquered peoples, and so they send tribute to Solomon. Solomon, in that sense, rules over all of that, but this has not yet become Israel's borders or Israel's lands. Okay. The daily food requirement for Solomon's palace 
were 150 bushels of choice flour and 300 bushels of meal. Also 10 oxen, 20 pasture-fed cattle, Solomon was concerned with his health and the health of his kingdom, even then, a hundred sheep or goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roe deer, and choice poultry, fowl. Chickens maybe, geese maybe, fowl. Uh, let's see. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for his chariot horses, and he had 12,000 horses. The district governors faithfully provided food for King Solomon and his court. Each made sure nothing was lacking during the month assigned. They also brought the necessarily barley and straw for the royal horses. Uh, and then we have a little sort of parenthesis on how wise Solomon was and how vast his wisdom was. Can you imagine we have, someone has counted, about 600 Proverbs. He wrote 3,000. Can you imagine what's in the other 2,400? Uh, he wrote 1,005 songs. How many do we have? One. The Song of Solomon. There's 1,004 other songs out there we've never read. Uh, he could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, uh, animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon is a special, special guy, and he asked for the right thing, and God gave him not only what he asked for, but everything else. And so Solomon has his heart set on serving the people. He's purged the kingdom, he's following God, and now he wants to serve the people. So his advisors, wisdom delegates to others who are qualified. A true statement, that's what Solomon is doing. The 12 districts that he sets up, not quite sure why they're set up the way they are, but they're different than the tribal allotments. And the result is peace and security, prosperity, and really fame for Israel, not just for Solomon, but it's fame for Israel. So what do we learn about a new start from looking at Solomon? First, Solomon purged the kingdom of pretend kings, traitors, murderers, and rebels. He removed division and brought peace. Second, Solomon asked God for wisdom that he might both lead and follow well. His greatest ask of God was to hear him well. And then third, Solomon served the people with wisdom. And he served God's people with wisdom. So a new start for the kingdom is removing the rebels. A second new start is following God at a deeper level with a hearing heart. And the third step to a new start means serving God's people. On January 7th, is it time for you for a new start? A new start is going to mean the same three things for you as it meant for Solomon and for the kingdom. 
The first thing is going to be exiling, like Abiathar, or executing, like the other three. The rebels who cannot be reformed. There's only one thing left to do with rebels who cannot be reformed, and that is to kill them. So question, is your heart divided? Is your heart divided tonight? And you say, well, I don't think so. The book I love to hate. Let me just pick a couple for this evening. Let's see if any of these rebels are still running around in your heart or mine. The first one is unthankfulness. Uh, He writes, far too many of us are guilty of the sin of unthankfulness. He goes on, he says, the truth is our whole lives should be lives of continual thanksgiving. I'm skipping forward in the chapter. He says, taking for granted all the temporal provisions and spiritual blessings that God has so richly bestowed on us and so failing to continually give him thanks is one of our acceptable sins. Our whole lives should be ones of continually giving thanks. Uh, Let's see. And if, as Jesus so clearly stated, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the first and greatest commandment, then failure to give thanks to God as a habit of life is a violation of the greatest commandment. So we should give thanks always and for everything. And you say, really? For everything? Let me cut to the chase. Romans 8, 28. What will God do? What has he promised us he will do? Work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? I didn't make that up. That's from the Bible. Romans 8, 28. God has promised he will do that. Therefore, if I am not thankful, what am I not believing? I'm really not believing that God will work all things together for good. God's a liar. Or somehow I'm an exception to what he said he will do. And so if I don't give thanks, even in difficult, challenging, can I say bad circumstances? If I don't give thanks for those, now I don't have to go, yay, Lord, uh, finally I've got a whatever. You know, my right arm is going to fall off. Yay, thank you, God. (laughs) You don't have to be happy at what's happening. But can we be thankful because God is good and he will some way, somehow work all things together for good. Therefore, I can be thankful even without knowing what he's going to do. I can be thankful that he's doing good in my life 
and that he will some way, somehow turn this for good. The only question left for us is, do you believe that or do I? One characteristic of a spirit-filled life is a thankful heart. Well, that one's a little too convicting, so let me turn to another one. Ah. As I... Um, the, the time of year when I eat the most is in between Christmas and New Year. And as I passed by the candy bowl tonight, putting another piece of candy into my mouth, I was reminded of this chapter, lack of self-control. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Proverbs 25, 28. In the same way that a city without walls was vulnerable to an invading army, so a person without self-control is vulnerable to all kinds of temptations. Biblical self-control covers every area of life and requires an unceasing conflict with the passions of the flesh that wage war against our souls. This self-control is dependent on the influence and enablement of the Holy Spirit. So then he addresses my favorite topic. The first area he wants to talk about is the area of eating and drinking. <laughs> he might as well have written candy bowl. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Uh, then he talks about temper, our temper, an area where Christians often show a lack of self-control is with one's temper. And do you know who gets the worst of our temper besides the person who's driving next to us who cuts us off? Who, who regularly gets the worst of our temper? Our spouse and our family. A third area where many Christians, okay, remember, this is his book, this is not me. A third area where many Christians lack self-control is in the area of personal finance. Uh, there are other areas in which we may need to learn self-control. I think of the person who spends an inordinate amount of time at his computer, watching television, impulse buying, engaging in hobbies, playing or watching various sports, <laughs> or being on your phone. Got any rebels in the land of man's souls still? Are we like David and we're seemingly unwilling or unable to do anything about these rebels who have demonstrated they cannot and will not be reformed? Are we going to be Solomon 
this year and trample them under our feet and say, Lord, the only thing that can be done with some of these things, in fact, all of them, is for you to take them out and either exile them or execute them and be ready for the screams of our own soul, our flesh, screaming out, don't do it. Is your heart divided? Mine is. Who are the enemies and traitors that need to be purged from man's soul? What will you do specifically in order to exile or execute them through the Spirit's power? Or are you still content to coddle these rebels and traitors who can never be reformed? A new day, a new start, an undivided heart. How about a hearing heart? So as I thought about my prayer time, I asked myself the question, what's more important, to pray through a list or to remember that I'm in a relationship? And do I have a friend (laughs) who I could just sit down and say, here's what I'd like to talk about today? (laughs) And I start reading a list. I'm concerned about this. I'd like you to talk about this and this and this and this and this. Okay, I've finished my list. See ya. And I get up from the table and I walk away from my friend who's (laughs) not said a word because I didn't invite them to say a word. I just said, listen to my list. But if I'm in relationship with someone, would I ever consider doing that? I don't think so. How about my relationship with my Heavenly Father? How do I get a hearing heart if I'm not willing to listen? I'm always talking. So I think we need to ask ourselves at the beginning of this year, what's more important, a list? I'm not saying don't make a list. I am saying we need to listen. How do you approach God in prayer? You approach him with humility based on his promises and or his character? Or do you just come at him every day with a list? Do you ask him for what you know he wants to give you? What does he want to give us in James 5, 1, 5? Wisdom. You want wisdom? Need wisdom? He says all you got to do is ask for it. Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40. Psalm 119 is a great psalm. If you want to know what God wants for you, read through that psalm. But those verses will um, give you some things to talk to God about. Do you come only to speak or also to listen? A new day, a new start, a hearing heart. Before we leave that one, how receptive is your heart to truth? I can't answer that question for you. I have trouble answering it for myself, but that's a question we need to be asking. Is if the Lord speaks, speaks to us, This has happened to you. You'll be reading in your Bible, and a a verse will just kind of jump off the page and grab you. (laughs) That's God speaking to you. And you go, 
Daddy, I don't know what you're trying to tell me from this verse. So let me go on with my list. (laughs) Or is that the time to say, I'm listening. I don't understand why, why, but I'm listening. If you'd like, please speak. Ask him. We have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. A hearing heart. An undivided heart. A hearing heart. And a servant's heart. Who are you serving right now? Self or others? There's not a day goes by I don't serve myself. I don't know about you. I serve myself every day. How can I begin to serve others? God will equip you for where he's called you to serve. Do you believe this? Who will you serve in 2024? You could look at our website. You could talk to people. Finding a place to serve is really not hard. There's hundreds of places to serve. Specifically, what will your next steps look like? Who? How? When? A new day, a new start, a servant's heart. A month and a half ago, I said, 2024, you're praying for someone who you're just going to walk alongside. You're just doing life with, right? You're going to make, be, make, reach. You're going to just make. And we're not going to have a classroom where you're trying to communicate a whole class load of material to them. You're just walking along doing life with them. Remember we talked about this? And some of you didn't agree. You were wise enough. You're like, I'm not agreeing to that. (laughs) I know what you did. But some of you said, yeah, I'm going to do that. You're praying. Has God given you an answer yet? Who does he want you to just walk alongside? A servant's heart. You know, truly, this is just to become like Jesus. Do you need an undivided heart? as Jesus had? Do you need a hearing heart, as Jesus had? Do you need a servant's heart, as Jesus had? Then go to Jesus. Come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Cody talked about the baggage that we all bring from 2023, right? All of you who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Solomon, his name is derived from shalom, peace. The greater Solomon, the Lord Jesus, will give you and give me a fresh start, a new start tonight. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Your word is truth. Thank you for speaking it to us. Thank you for your spirit who communicates it not just to our brains but to our hearts and to our very souls. Please speak to each one of us this week in that special way that only you can do um, and give us a passion for an undivided heart. Give us a passion in 2024 to have a hearing heart and give us a passion in 2024 to have a servant's heart 
and to help make disciples. We love you, we thank you, and we pray for all of these things, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.